Welcome to the Seller Roundtable e-commerce coaching and business strategies with Andy Arnott and Amy Wees. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Andy Arnott with my cohort. Amy Weiss. And this is Seller Roundtable number 30. And we get to interview uh, this random dude. His name's Andy. And uh, yeah, hopefully you guys can uh, learn something from my journey. And that being said, I'm going to pass it off to Amy. I am so excited that I get to interview Andy today. He interviewed me on an earlier episode and I love that I get to ask him all these questions. I've learned so much about Andy, but I'm always learning new things. So, uh, you know, any of our live listeners, please put your extra questions in there and I'll try to throw in some extra um, juicy stuff and, and see if we can give up, get Andy to give up all the goods on his Amazon secrets. Yeah, we know he's harboring. <laughs> I no, share like 90, 95% of them. There's only he's a few. So I, good at, like he, he comes up with these things and sometimes he'll be like, Amy, I just found this thing and it's so great. And I'm thinking about maybe keeping it for myself. And he'll tell, he'll tell me that. And then like a couple, you know, like a month later, he's like, okay, it's ready for release to everyone. So it's, it's so cool that he does that. So that we love that about you, Andy. Oh, uh, <laughs> I'm glad to help. So it's just, it's just ingrained in you. You're a good guy. So speaking of, you know, what's ingrained in you and being a good guy, why don't you tell us about you, where you were born, where you live now and your journey leading up to your wonderful full-time entrepreneurship. Is this going to be a two hour podcast? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, yeah, no. So as you know, I was born uh, in Hawaii. Um, but what you probably didn't know, I don't know if I told you this, maybe I did, is that I was uh, the third generation to be uh, raised in Hawaii. My grandmother and her family came over, I think when she was two years old from Scotland, um, and um, I think her father was an, uh, an engineer um, on these, uh, like he like managed the uh, equipment um, in sugar plantations uh, super, super early on. Um, and my aunt actually has a really cool, I, I keep meaning to get the video, but like has a video of them flying in on like a DC-3 or like some relic of an airplane like over the island when there's like nothing there. Um, and it's like, uh, yeah, it's just, it's pretty epic. But um, anyway, yeah, so three generations in Hawaii. Um, unfortunately I broke that tradition. Um, my, my kids were born here in California. Uh, but we still make it back there quite a bit to, to visit my parents and stuff. But, uh, yeah, so I was born in Hawaii, born and raised in Hawaii. Uh, once I hit, uh, 18, I was ready to get, ready to get out of there. Um, my two passions growing up were computer science and aviation. Um, I ended up going the aviation route. Uh, which was to the University of North Dakota, which is funny. Everybody, when I got there, didn't believe that. What? <laughs> from Hawaii to North Dakota, but that's where I went. So why don't you have one of those cool North Dakota accents? I, I actually did because I was there for six years. When I, when I, you know, the few years after I, I left North Dakota, I still had a little bit of an accent. Is it like the, is it like the, hey Marge, go out in the yard and put your boots on? Is no, it not, like that? No, not that bad. But uh, yeah, you know, roof, roof. And you know, like the, it's very funny. Like I was just at that conference in Minneapolis and it was fun to, uh, to, to hear the, uh, the lingo again. Uh, it was, it was, it was fun. To Did you there. freeze in North Dakota? You went from Hawaii to North Dakota? 
it was it was a shock, but it definitely. I mean, I don't know. By the time I left, I was probably getting a little bit sick of the the weather. But I love <laughs> North Dakota. I I the people there were amazing. Um, there was a a, a sense of community that uh, I didn't really see um, outside of North Dakota. Besides Hawaii, actually, I think Hawaii and North Dakota had very similar, uh, you know, very community driven, very like uh, uh, very much. Uh, you know, help your neighbor, uh, look people in the eye when you walk down the street, wave, nod your head, you know, acknowledge things like that, which in some places aren't really the norm and, and, you know, nothing against that. That's just what I was used to and and what I was raised with and and kind of what I enjoy. (laughs) Um, So anyway, before I got you off on a North Dakota tangent, that was fun. But uh, so you went to uh, the University of North Dakota for aviation? I did. Yep. For aerospace science, which uh, I started in aviation. I got my private pilot's license. Uh, but once I did that for a while, it was super expensive and I just, it wasn't a passion of mine. You know, when I had it in my mind that I wanted to be a pilot when I was a kid, I was, it, it was like the top gun time, you know? So I was like, I want to be a fighter pilot. Um, in, in high school, I tried to get into being a fighter pilot, but they're like, Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll give you the backseat, you know, like goose, you know, if you're a Top Gun fan, they wanted me to be goose. And I'm like, no, I'm not goose. I'm Maverick. Like <laughs> if you're not going to let me fly the thing, I'm not going to go into the military. So, um, so then that's where I ended up in, in North Dakota. Um, and I, I got my private pilot's license. Didn't really, uh, like I said, didn't really click. It, it was, uh, I felt like a glorified bus driver. Um, and so, uh, I found out that my my credits would transfer over to air traffic control, so I gave that a try. I enjoyed it. I actually never thought I would do it uh, f- uh, for a living. I, I you know I, I just kind of did it because I was like, oh, I need my I need my degree, and and my credits will transfer, and I'll figure it out later. Um, but I, that's that is where I ended up. You know, I got a job offer uh, after so, a year, year and a half of being out of college. So speaking of air traffic control, that's another language right there. Give us a word or a sentence from your air traffic control days. Um, sure, it was. Uh, it would be stuff like November three two five seven right base runway one nine right clear to land. Okay, got it. So yeah. you're. I, I like it. I like it. You have a good ATC voice. I like Thank it. You. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you know, air traffic control. You got a job doing that. You know, yep. that's a pretty good job. And yep. What happened? Yeah, but going back, like, um, you know, where I ended up today, you would have to go back to like, you know, entrepreneurial. I was always a tinker, like even, you know, my first job was like, I had a paper route. Uh, I always had a job pretty much from I think age 13 or 12 is when I got my first paper route forward. Um, But I was always tinkering, like back in the day, this will date me, but like I was, you know, building my own computers, running like bulletin board systems, like super geeky um, into all that kind of technology stuff, super into like Wired Magazine back then was like kind of a big thing. Um, And so um, as I, as I went, my first, um, uh, my first business wasn't in college. Well, I, I, you know, I guess you'd call it a business, but I was, I was, um, you know, buy, it was my first, it was like retail arbitrage. I would buy stuff and then resell it on eBay. Um, I got some bad experiences there by, you know, back then the, the fraud was rampant. So I ended up like losing money on it, but um, that was my kind of first uh, dipping my toes in the, in, in the real business world. Um, the next thing I came up with was um, a software uh, called ISP spider. And back then it was brand broadband was just coming out. So um, that website would let you plug in your address 
and then it would tell you, you know, what uh, broadband was available at that at that address. So that was my first software product. So I think that was like I was like 19 or 20, I think, or maybe even yeah, 20. No, I was older than that because I was drinking by then. <laughs> 21. <laughs> uh, it was probably around 21, um, something like that, uh, during college years. Um, and at that that uh, business was actually pretty successful. I was getting affiliate commissions. Um, once I found the address and the companies that would service them, I would send them via a link to that website. They'd sign up, I'd make a commission. Um, so that was kind of my early, um, entrepreneurial thing. Fast forward from there. I mean, I, in my twenties, I, I started a dating website, got over a hundred thousand members. Um, that was, it was actually listed in, on, on wired.com, not on the magazine, but the online version, which as a kid, like that was like one of my goals was to <laughs> get into wired. So I sort of count that. So that was kind of, wow. A, a, I didn't a, know that a dating website. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, 25 years old, uh, <laughs> single in California, not knowing anyone, you know, when, when, when a geek has a problem, he, he creates a, a solution, right? So that was my, <laughs> that was my solution. Um, after that I did, uh, one of the first, if not the first Twitter ad networks, it was called AdCause. Um, and it would let you change your background on your Twitter and your like um, your profile photo, like you get, get sponsored, uh, which years after became like the norm. Uh, but I had a, a, a trademark dispute with another company that had, because ours was, ad, uh, when it first came out, it was called TwitAd, I think. And somebody else had a similar trademark, so then I changed it to AdCause. Uh, but that was also a, a really cool project uh, that got into like Mashable and and uh, on some TV networks and stuff like that. So that was kind of cool. Um, never really, uh, you know, made me any money in the long term, but still a great, uh, you know, process. Uh, my first kind of big success or what I would consider my big success was in, it was around 2010, um, right around there, 20, 2009, 2010. Android was, was a, a new uh, phone, new operating system. Uh, my cousin, or not my cousin, my brother-in-law, uh, Jared, had come home with uh, like the, it was like a flip up, um, you know, you would like slide the screen up and it had a keyboard under, I think it was called like the danger pad or something like that. I can't remember. <laughs> or no, G1. I think it was called the G1, the Google one. Um, and I played with it. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. This is better than the iPhone. Even back then I could see the, the writing on the wall just because <laughs> um, it had like a, like a, like a track pad or a track ball and like some interesting features. Uh, but I just kind of liked the way that it was uh, very customizable, extensible, things like that. Um, so then I started researching and found out that uh, building apps for it wasn't that hard. I had, uh, you know, through the years of doing all these other things, I had kind of taught myself uh, a little bit of programming, nothing super high level, but, uh, you know, enough to do some coding uh, to understand, you know, how languages are put together, kind of, you know, uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to spin up some apps. I spun up like a, sol a solitaire app and a few other apps and they just took off like over a million downloads. Um, and that business just, I kept adding more and more apps to it. So by the time uh, we were in full swing, it was like, we had like 30, uh, around 30 apps uh, on the uh, Android um, uh, place. Uh, back then it was like Android store, I think they called it. Um, and we were, we were, bringing in some serious money, um, you know, and, and not only that, but it was like an app business. So, it's, you know, I would have to check in on it and nurture it like once a week. But besides that, it was like on autopilot. Um, being so early, you know, such an early mover to that market, it was, it was amazing. Uh, to this day, it's still the easiest money I've ever made. Um, don't get me wrong, I worked really hard, but once it got going, it like snowballed. Now, uh, that came to a, a crashing halt, unfortunately, because uh, if people remember this, very few do when I mention this, it's funny. 
uh, back then Google had a product called Buzz, which was, they had created, it was a social network that they were trying to compete with uh, Twitter on. And um, they, I had built a web wrapper. If you're a geek, you know what that is. If you're not, it's literally a, a program that would look like an icon when you pushed it, it would bring up a web page in the mobile format. Um, back then Android was so early on, like they didn't need, they, they hadn't even created an app for that product. So I was like, oh, I'll just create my own web wrapper because I used the product. I wanted to launch it from my home screen, like easy peasy. So that ended up being one of the early apps in my account. Well, you know, to fast forward two years later, whatever it was, uh, you know, Google somehow, you know, deployed an AI or had people inter reviewing accounts and found that account or found our account. And the, the app was called like buzz it or something like that. And so then they nailed me with a trademark uh, infraction and uh, shut the entire account down. So we went from, uh, a, a, so their trademark was Buzz, and right. then Google Buzz, and you named your early web wrapper that you created before you created all these other apps, and you kind of forgot about it. You named yep. it Buzz it, and then they were like, "Oh, you're infringing on our trademark. Yep. You you're out of here." Like yep. they canceled your account. They zapped our entire account. Yeah, banned us from the store, and so we went from uh, a, an insane amount of money to zero in one day, like overnight, like worse than a, an Amazon. Um, uh, suspension because with Google back then there wasn't really a process or a way to like they had appeals but it was like no you're gone like there was no really discussion um, so that was that was pretty devastating um, that being said you know I, I learned a lot along the way on you know with that process or, or with that happening and uh, when that happened you know that's when uh, we were uh, getting close to having our first son uh, my wife Molly wanted to uh, quit her job and, and, you know, stay home and, and raise our, our, our sons. So, you know, I started looking at other avenues. Um, and that's when I came, uh, you know, came into finding out about Amazon. And uh, honestly, I, I can't remember how I was introduced to it. I think I might have read like an online article about it or something. And was just like, oh, I'll give it a try. Um, and yeah, and that's where I ended up. And that was in I think 20. End of 2012, beginning of 2013, I think is, is when we started our, our Amazon business. Wow. I can't even imagine, you know, I started as just a hobby thrifting in 2007, but I can't imagine, um, you know, I guess 2013 was when things started, people started talking about it, right? They started talking about FBA. Um, now, did you... Uh, you know, back then there wasn't really any courses or anything, right? So how did you learn and did you start with FBA or did you start with Merchant Fulfill? Did, you know, how did you kind of come about it and then decide this is what I was going to do and this is how I would do it? Yeah, I don't, I don't, th I don't know of any training that was available back then if there was any. Um, I think ASM was just starting then or, or maybe, maybe it was a year after. I'm not sure. It was really close to that, which I, of course, kicked myself now. I was like, man, I should have started training back then. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it was, it, there, I, there wasn't really much of anything. Um, and, and Amazon back then didn't really even themselves didn't have many help files or like how to like, no, there was no like seller university, no like videos, things like that. It was kind of trial by fire. So we just kind of mucked through it. And, um, in my presentation that I did at that Midwest Ecom conference, um, you know, one of my things was showing my, my, um, my, my, uh, account getting suspended, which was pretty early on. Um, and I believe, I can't remember the exact reason, but I think it was like, we weren't shipping stuff, you know, within like the 24 hours, 48 hours, whatever it was, I think it was 48 hours still back then. 
Um, so we got banned. It was super early on. And because we didn't know what we were doing, we didn't have any guidance. It was trial by fire. So that's, you know, that, that was. So uh, your weird. account got suspended and how long had you been selling when your account got suspended the first time? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, it's actually knock on wood. I think it's only been once. Uh, I can't okay. another time. <laughs> and, but back then, couldn't you just like, call, it, it was definitely more of an appeals process though, right? Where now it's just kind of like, bye. No, I'm never actually, talking to you again. No, actually it wasn't. Back then it was. Um, it, it was actually, it was more like just like template. Like <laughs> I think it was even worse than it was now. I honestly, it's been so long. I don't remember the process that I went to, but I think from what I remember, like, because I, with the app business, I learned that like, you know, you just have to be super persistent. Like, I think I appealed like every day for like two months and then finally <laughs> like they like gave in. Um, I like this guy is not going to leave us alone. Yeah, I, I honestly, I'm pretty sure that's how it went, but I, I can't remember. I can imagine that poor staff member, like checking emails and stuff like that. Like just begging yeah. their manager. Will you please, I'm so sick of it. Can we just do something here? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually think, well, yeah, I think I had, I had written like letter after letter after letter. And then I'd like found a blog post or an article or something. And I said, like, don't write a, a, a friggin you know, book, like get, super to the point and tell them how you're going to fix it. You know, like, um, and I think that's when I finally like wrote a letter like that and they're like, Oh yeah. Okay, cool. You're on, you know, it's just like, and it was frustrating in the same point because it was like, like flipping a switch, you know, it was like weeks or months worth of agony to like, you know, okay, cool. You're back. You know, it was just, it was crazy. And the thing was, I mean, during that time period, that's when FBA got started kind of being sold as a business model, you know, and, uh, and I actually took a break from Amazon during that time. Cause I went to Hawaii during that time. So, you know, I didn't want to ship from Hawaii cause I was doing like merchant fulfilled stuff early on. So, uh, when I get came back and started my business, um, it was kind of crazy to think, Oh wow. What is this FBA thing that everybody's talking about. It was really different because Amazon was not really like that beforehand. It was just kind of like you said, like the wild, wild west is like, click the sell yours here button and send some stuff in. So yep. really interesting. Okay. So you got we were, reinstated. Yeah, we were reinstated and we were doing merchant fulfilled. Um, I remember at one point sitting at our back then that we had a much smaller house sitting at our dining room table and like my it was myself my mother-in-law and my wife uh packing and shipping uh envelopes and i remember at one point uh it was like uh 600 orders you know in one day and that's when we were like holy shit like this <laughs> this this business is legit and we need to dedicate more time and resources to it got it so in back then you know it wasn't very saturated so it was like you know i'm sure so much opportunity you bring a hot product in there yep. that people want to get their hands on that's more like a commodity back then commodities were flying right yep. uh, now if you bring a commodity you're like why well, uh, race to the bottom oh you know but um but yeah very cool so uh so you're merchant fulfilling that where were you sourcing from were you sourcing from china back then? i was sourcing from china and and that's when i you know that's when i first learned that that uh you know the sourcing small that i that we've been teaching that's kind of where i first came up with that um and it was just by chance you know it was just like trying to figure out how to do it really um yeah i was sourcing from china um and back then i was a, like I couldn't, and I'm sure a lot of people starting out um, with Amazon are the same way. I couldn't quite grasp FBA when I first started. And like you said, there was no really help or like 
like now there's so many resources that it's, I, I think it's much easier to start now than it would be back then, even though the competition was less back then, like it's kind of a catch 22. Um, right. So it was, it was kind of trial by fire. Now, once we figured out um, FBA, that's when the, the game changed for us. That's when we really started. Then you're not sitting there packing all of these products and shipping them on a daily basis and yep. all of that. You were like, oh, wow, we can send. And you've taught us, you know, all of our podcast listeners and, and me so much based on your experience with, uh, you know, how many to order how to have your supplier hold on to um, some more inventory. And then you're just sending like a little bit at once, how to use things like uh, UPS, um, like the special line deliveries and stuff like that. Like that information has been golden. And I know it has saved a lot of us a lot of time and money. So I love, you know, all of your experience in trial and error because it's really helped. Um, it really helps us now, you know, in, um, so, you know, we, the last question we asked was all about, uh, what kind of learning did you do? And obviously trial by fire was your learning. Mm -hmm. Uh, but what was your biggest challenge with Amazon when you got started? Um, well, we had, a, we, we had quite a few actually. Um, uh, one of the ones was we had a very large corporation come after us legally. Uh, that was a, a very large challenge. Um, I cannot speak of it because <laughs> part of the settlement was that I cannot speak of it. Oh, um, so, but what did they do to come after you? Just give us an idea. Like you don't have to say their name um, or anything. Uh, I believe when you was, say come after you, what does I, that I mean? I believe they, they, it was trademark uh, or not trademark, but uh, patent infringement, I believe. Trademark and pat, patent infringement, I believe. Uh, it was a very, very large company with infinite resources. So needless to say, uh, we settled. <laughs> so were they coming after like your profits because you were maybe infringing on their trademark or something yes, or yeah, their patents? Yep, yep. Yep. And luckily when this happened, we were still really, really small. So we're like, Hey, we're a mom and pop. Like, you know, we, there's not much here. Yeah. <laughs> luckily, like you can take it, but it's not yeah, great. You yep. know? So luckily we were able to sell, settle with them and, and, and move on. But that was a huge challenge early on. Um, and was that a case of something that you had sourced from China that had their brand name on it or was it just a product that uh, happened to be patented by them that you were selling yes yes so it was it was uh their patented product that we were getting from china and then uh and then it also um you know had some of their trademarks in it because you know it's of course compatible with whatever uh you know whatever it was so uh you know uh, they kind of got us two ways there. <laughs> Got but it, it. Was, it was a good learning experience. Um, you know, as I try to look at everything these days that are, uh, you know, whenever we have a, a challenge, it's, it's, you know, something to learn from, uh, which a lot of people have trouble with. I know I did and still do. Um, you know, when you, when you hit this huge roadblock, it's easy to just shut down and give up, but you know, you have to look at it as a challenge, you know, rather than a death sentence. And I feel like nowadays, you know, back then they were coming after you and nowadays people just submit something to Amazon and you get shut down pretty quick. That actually happened to me this week. So I launched a new product and I learned my lesson to not change the design at all, but it happened to have a design patent. So two days after my launch, um, you know, I had an amazing multiplier on this product. Two days after my launch, I got a notice from Amazon said, hey, we're closing this listing um, due to this particular patent. They gave me the patent number and I looked it up on Google Patents and sure enough, it was this design. 
So even though I had changed the material and all of that, it was just the shape of the design and there was no fighting it. I mean, you know, luckily I sourced small, so I don't have a ton of, of units to move and I'm going to just sell them locally. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, nowadays I think the problem is on the, the other end of the spectrum where basically if somebody even gives Amazon even a patent number, they don't follow up on it. They just shut you down. So it's, uh, it's really interesting to see because Amazon's kind of pushing it off on these third parties. And I saw this, uh, I saw this post in a group the other day where this same email address was basically calling out the same patent number across all these products and they were getting all of these sellers shut down, but Amazon wasn't actually checking the patent information, right? So, you know, people were preparing a class action lawsuit against this particular seller because they were, you know, shutting down all these businesses, utilizing what Amazon was not, you know, being involved enough in. And, uh, and so I, I think that that's an interesting dynamic is back then, you know, the company kind of had to find you and come after you. And now Amazon, they go to Amazon and Amazon, like, they don't even check. They just shut you down. So uh, I thought that that luckily in this case for me, me getting shut down uh, this week on one of my listings was actually legitimate. I looked up the patent and sure enough, you know, it, it would have been hard to defend even though it was a design patent. So um, well, I, I see coming from both ends of that spectrum. I mean, I, 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 I see both. I mean, on one side as a brand owner as, and, and as somebody who has been hijacked so much, like, I, I, I like the fact that I have that power now, but I agree with you hundred percent that um, you know, with power comes responsibility, <laughs> you know, that old saying. And I feel like Amazon hasn't really done a, a good job, but on the flip side, like compared to where we were, like I, like I said, you know, when I started, I would 10 times overpick what we have now. Cause it used to be so bad back then. Cause you, as a brand owner, as a pro, you know, as a private label seller, it was, it was almost impossible to get, people, uh, hijackers off. I mean, back then it was like, if you had a seller from China, you had to do a test order. That's the only way you could get them off. And if they're selling from sending from China, you're talking 30 days, they're sending it as slow as possible, or they're giving fake numbers on the tracking number, or they would put in a trinket that wasn't even the product. So you couldn't take a picture to prove that. And then was, customers are blaming your brand, right? Yeah, so and you're just a, like, it, it was an absolute mess. Um, you know, another big challenge really early on was we had scaled to seven figures pretty quickly. Um, and I think it was our second Christmas or like our second Q4, uh, where we had like 80% of our listings hijacked for almost the entire Q4. And I was sending emails every single day and they're just like, you got to do a test order. You got to do a test order. We're just like, like, and literally, you know, I'd go through and do test orders, spending thousands of dollars now on test orders because I'd have to order each one um, and, and then getting, you know, empty boxes, fake tracking. By the time they're booted off, Q4 was over. I mean, we probably lost oh. know, net, net $150,000 easy um, just on that one. Uh, you know, that one holiday season. So that was, that was pretty rough. And so now that your brain registered and all of that, you feel that there's actually a better outlook because what do you do now if you have a hijack? Yeah. So, so there's a few things. I mean, uh, you know, one of the things is we have, we have, uh, we applied for the zero, um, 
the transparency program, program. uh yeah i think it's called zero though is the is the other well it's two it's multiple parts but yeah yeah transparency zero is i think is what it's called but um yeah so it gives us control over our listings pretty much so um if somebody jumps on our listing that's you know a hijacker um that's uh you know infringing on our ip uh then we have some recourse uh to deal with them so that's pretty nice Right. Well, that's awesome. And so, I mean, kind of getting back to it, you said you scaled to seven figures pretty quickly. How many products um, did you start with and how did you grow and kind of scale that business? Yeah. So, I mean, what I would do is, is, you know, when I got a product online, it started to make money. Then I would, uh, you know, I would look at something similar in, in, in our, in my niche and, and bring that on board. Um, back then I didn't really have, you know, because it was was an early mover, um, you know, the competition wasn't too terrible. So you really didn't have to do a ton of research when it came to, um, you you know, looking at all the different factors we look at today. Back then it was like PPC was like super new and like untapped. Um, so if you at least sort of knew what you were doing, you could bring on new products pretty quickly. At one point, uh, in the second or third year, I was, my goal was to bring on a new product every week. Um, which actually sounds awesome, but in the long run, I didn't have the processes in place to support that many SKUs. So it actually turned into a mess and we ended up with a ton of overstocked inventory and stuff like that. So that's actually a good lesson for you guys uh, and why the sourcing small. If I would have kept to you know what I was doing and been a little bit more diligent, maybe doing one product a month, which still would have been you know pretty quick or even one every two weeks or something like that. But what happened was is I got all these products online, but then I didn't have enough time to, you know, optimize the listing or, you know, manage the PPC or do all these things that have to go along with having successful products. Um, So that was kind of a mistake in the sense that, um, you know, as we were scaling, there would have been a, a, I could probably list five things we would have done differently, which if you'd like me to, I will, (laughs) but like a bunch of things differently, I think would have put us in the, in the eight or, you know, eight figure plus, uh, bandwagon super early on. Right. Because in the beginning you had a lot of extra, you, you were kind of mentioning your product selection process back then. It didn't really need to be that in depth because Amazon was kind of, there's not that many people out there, right. Selling on it. So there were so many opportunities for you. So you kind of just kept, Oh, well, let me source this. Let me source this. Let me source this. And you're like, this is easy. You kept ordering all these products. You got excited about it. And then before you know it, you're like, Oh wow, I have a lot of products and now I have to deal with the logistics of all of this and the operating uh, overhead, right. Of managing all of Thanks for tuning in to part one of this episode. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for live Q&A and bonus content after the recording at sellerroundtable.com. Sponsored by the ultimate software tool for Amazon sales and growth, sellerseo.com and amazingathome.com.